Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Check it out. Peaceful protesting is illegal. Independent journalists are being tackled by law enforcement. You can't even hang out at a public park. No, I'm not speaking about North Korea, folks, but rather Calgary, Alberta. Our man in Cowtown, Adam Seuss, has all the disturbing details. Quick, somebody call the Dream Police. Apparently, the rank and file at the Canadian Border Service Agency are a bunch of racists? Even if they don't say or don't do anything that is remotely racist? What? Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the surreal details. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses about the fact that the vaccine passport is history in Ontario, except that certain places in Ontario, like the government-owned Ontario Place, where the Vax Pass is still being strictly enforced. Hey, Premier Doug Ford, in between baking cherry cheesecakes, can you please serve up an explanation for this gross hypocrisy? Those are your Rebels. Now let's round them up. Adam Sos here for Rebel News with an update on some of the arrests that took place at the protest last Saturday. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the situation, for nearly two years, protesters have been gathering opposing vaccine mandates and COVID-19 restrictions. Largely without incident, these have been entirely peaceful protests until a few weeks ago, counter-protesters began to show up. And the following weekend after those counter-protesters first showed up, we actually saw smoke bombs going off and police interactions with those counter-protesters. The following week, Mayor Gioti Gondek suggested that those protesters have every right to counter-protest, but the people marching for their freedoms, the people marching against these mandates, they have no right to go into those communities and to interrupt things. Jyoti Gondek doesn't seem to realize that she doesn't get to decide who protests and who doesn't. And she also doesn't get to say that one group of protesters who in fact were not obeying the commands of police officers are within their rights and another group who is obeying the will of the police and the orders of the police and how to proceed peacefully. She doesn't get to say that that group is not allowed. That's not how it works. Well, needless to say, at, after she made those comments, we saw dramatic escalation. More and more counter-protesters showing up and the city even sought an injunction attempting to make these protests illegal. This categorically led to escalated enforcement from police and over that weekend we saw numerous arrests, uh, interactions, even fights breaking out all because of ultimately the police enforcement and the words of Mayor Gioti Gondek. We're going to be speaking in just a moment with one individual who was simply having a conversation with police and then faced a dramatic arrest to get his side of the story and his perspective on what happened. So as I mentioned, I'm now joined by Devlin Gannon, the young man who was arrested for daring to attend the protest. Um, I guess first off, you were attending someone in your capacity as a independent journalist, just covering the event, yeah. um, not there to cause problems. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've been attending these protests effectively without incident for almost two years. Is that right? Yeah, I've been them there since the very get-go with a camera and with the intention of just documenting what's going on and, you know, shedding light on the point of view that's not really shared in the uh, mainstream media everywhere. 
So then what exactly, lead us for the people, we've got some footage and we'll be certain to share that as well, but lead us through exactly what happened and how it got to the point you were pinned on the ground shirtless, the, the dramatic uh, arrest that we saw. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, in comparison to other protests, like you said, it's been going on for a long time. So the day started out kind of normal. We went to Central Memorial, but with the injunction that had been put forward by the court literally the night before. Um, there was no amplified noise devices. There was all sorts of different things that were uh, essentially hoops to jump through in order to even be allowed in the park. And don't get me wrong, those hoops were all jumped through. There was no amplification devices. There was nothing of the sort in that injunction being broken. Um, but because of the fact that there couldn't be amplification, the rally itself and the thousands of people peacefully marched towards City Hall and this was a way different march than before. We've seen the police shut down the roads and escort us and take us there, where this time we were peacefully, law-abidingly walking on the sidewalks using the cross lights, and uh, we made our way to City Hall. We did our rally there. We had a speaker system, business as normal, and uh, since so many people had parked by Central Memorial Park, everybody, once it ended, walked back there, lawfully, peacefully, following the, the stoplights and the traffic sin signals. And uh, once we got back to the park, there was quite a large police presence there. Um, and they just essentially started trying to push like everybody out of the park. So there you have it, folks. It looks like when it comes to the Democratic People's Republic of Calgary, peaceful protesting is illegal. Freedom of the press is no longer a thing. And heck, even strolling through a park is deemed to be illicit activity, at least in the eyes of the Calgary Police Service. What is going on in Cowtown these days? Well, to hopefully provide us with some answers to this grotesque assault on freedom is our man in Calgary himself, Adam Seuss. So, Adam, uh, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Very good, my friend. Thank you. So, lots to unpack here, but before we get to Devlin Ganon's situation... I thought Canadians, you know, had this right to peacefully protest, but apparently not in Calgary these days. What's going on here, Adam? Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely unbelievable to see. We saw effectively for two years the Calgary uh, police forces actually, I mean, in addition, aside from the arrests of pastors and some of the other extremely questionable stuff that we saw, but in relation to these protests, we did see them basically accommodating, facilitating, ensuring things remain peaceful. Uh, and we saw without virtually any incidents whatsoever over the course of two years, Calgarians peacefully protesting. It was a uh, show of democracy, a show of fundamental rights um, in, in the highest form with no violence, no conflicts, a, a great atmosphere of respect. <clears throat> Suddenly, however, a group of organized protesters, some of them paid as admitted by Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld, show up to counter protest. The first week, first two weeks, first two times they showed up, they simply sort of stood by the side of the road, but eventually escalated to them actually blocking the road from an organized march with police directing them to move and them refusing. So very much a legal protest being blocked by an illegal protest. Well, lo and behold, Calgary Mayor Gioti Gondek, who is more a progressive activist than a mayor, her popularity is plunging dramatically within this city, bad decision after bad decision, weighs in and says those illegal counter-protesters who disobeyed the police, well, in fact, they 
are within the right because they're just protecting their communities. We know for a fact that some of those people aren't from those communities. Some very likely are. But she weighed in and politicized the entire thing. And then she, along with the city of Calgary, acquired an injunction against these legal protests that had been going on for two years. And that's when we saw the clamp down begin on protests in the city. But Adam, an injunction against what? Your democratic right to peacefully protest? Surely she doesn't have the power to enforce such a document. It goes against their constitutional rights. This is not happening on private property. It's literally in the public square, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we've seen whether it be, like I said, again, Pastor Arthur Pawlowski having worship interrupted a criminal code violation, um, people's right to speak being <laughs> treated with imprisonment. Uh, Chris got up at the whistle stop. It goes on and on, the fundamental violations of rights that we have seen. And what, what was so concerning about this is we saw the situation in Ottawa with the trucker convoy, the Freedom Convoy, it, it maintained in relative peace for an extended period of time. In fact, we saw crime go down in Ottawa yeah. over that course of time. Then politicians get involved. They fire the police chief, who, chief who's keeping things peaceful, and they bring in a, a, a militant escalator um, to, to create that crazy, hectic, chaotic situation that we saw in Ottawa, of which there's likely to be legal repercussions for the police force and those involved for years to come. Well, Mayor Jyoti Gondek, I guess, saw that, and she very much seemed to stipulate that the police chief needed to take action or he may face a similar fate to the uh, chief that was fired in Ottawa. So the police chief did actually come out, and I, I'm not going to give him much credit because not much credit is due, but he did flat out say that we can't single-handedly clap down and, and lock up one side or the other side. Um, we can't unilaterally enforce laws on one group while disregarding them for another group. And he actually, in that statement, said that the one sort of side does certainly have paid protesters, and there probably are some on the other side as well. So he, he seemed to want to bring a degree of measure to it. That is until the weekend rolled around. Around. And this is when we saw, um, based on the words of G.O.T. Gondek and uh, other people, the counter-protesters come. They were more radicalized. They were out in force. Uh, Sid was on location. There was Antifa members there. Um, and, and we saw conflicts arise. And then we saw some pretty dramatic arrests. Unfortunately, after two years of peaceful protests, uh, these, uh, these progressive politicians seem to have a bit of bloodlust. They like things to go chaotic. Yeah, and they're very politically motivated, and none of this would oh, yeah. be happening if that was a Black Lives Matter march. Uh, we know yep. that for certain. In fact, law enforcement would not only turn a blind eye at them, they would actually bend the knee and take part in the protest. So it, it is so political. But speaking of violent arrests and takedowns, uh, Devlin Gannon, the uh, independent journalist, I found that very disturbing. He wasn't breaking any law unless uh, asking questions is now against the law in Calgary. And the way um, that a Calgary police officer uh, just, uh, like, like he, he went off unhinged on him, mm -hmm. I don't know, and, and didn't seem that uh, Gannon was saying anything profane or, or, or what. Um, what. What happened there exactly, Adam? Why were they so keen to shut this guy down, which was just an independent citizen journalist yeah. asking questions. And again, who knows? I mean, I think they were there to make an example of people. So what was happening is they were simply just making their way through the park and kicking everyone out effectively, um, which, I mean, the, the injunction said that you can sit in a park, you just can't have speakers, there weren't speakers. This was actually post-protest. So the people were just hanging around in a park as someone does, but I mean, the government hates when, when uh, they spend money on things and people actually use them. So apparently they wanted to clear them out. But 
he has been attending these protests for two years without incident, no conflicts. He actually knew the one officer he was talking to, not the one who grabbed him, but the other one that he was having a bit of a conversation with. And he said, well, the protest's over. There's no amplification. What's going on here? And then this guy says, well, you can't gather in groups of more than 50 in parks, which is not part of the injunction in any way, shape, or form. Um, so he said, he corrected him. He said, well, that's that's not part of the injunction. So what's actually going on here? Then the other guy comes up, and you can watch the, the footage, and I urge people to watch it from both sides, because the officer actually grabs him and spins him. Some people were saying he kind of made a move like a uh, pull. It's not the case at all. The officer actually grabs him and spins him. And then he starts saying, well, what are you doing? Then they grab him by his shirt so aggressively and pull it off of him. In the early stages of this sort of escalation, which didn't need to happen, he was moving backwards and just having a calm conversation with an officer. He knew the officer's name. It was very cordial and respectful. Um, what happened was they were pulling him away. And another person, because the whole sort of crowd shifted, actually stepped to try and move out of the way, and they stepped behind one of the officers. That officer then tripped over this other person whose name we don't even know and isn't involved in this. Like, he fell backwards. They're actually filing assault charges against Devlin. Even though he was being held and was restrained and was being taken down, they're saying that he threw this officer. Reportedly, those are the charges. Um, in the video, you can clearly see that that is not what happened. So at that point, they bend him down on the ground, and his legs are effectively underneath him. And they're bending him down, and he says, I'm not resisting. I just can't bend this way. Like, what do you want me to do? <clears throat> then they proceeded to tase him. It was absolutely shocking to see. Um, he's not taking it lying down. He's already uh, sort of working on his legal efforts, fighting back on the offensive. But it, it truly was shocking to see this senseless escalation in a time where all we talk about is police strategies, de-escalation, serving the community. Well, apparently when Mayor Gioti Gondek uh, weighs in, that all goes by the wayside. They go around beating up journalists. Yeah, you have to wonder who the puppet masters are because I, when I saw what happened to him, uh, Adam, I had a flashback to last December when Justin Trudeau's Royal Canadian Mounted Henchman uh, gave, uh, you know, gave me a physical beatdown for standing on a public sidewalk in Toronto hoping to yell out a question to the Prime Minister. This is very disturbing, um, this, this idea that uh, depending on your political ideology, you're not allowed to protest in the public square. If you're a, not a member of the mainstream media, uh, media party, uh, you are uh, shunned and even beaten and falsely criminally charged. Um, you know, one thing I want to get at, I, I truly believe, and we'll never be able to prove it, I think Justin Trudeau was behind uh, the beatdown I got. He saw me, my mic flash, he said to his thugs, give him the works. Uh, with Calgary Mayor Gondek, I think she's the puppet master behind this, too. And, you know, Adam, I, I, I've spent time in Calgary. I find it to be pretty much a right-of-center town, you know, pro-freedom, pro-pipelines, pro-fossil fuels. What I don't understand, and explain for the rest of us who don't live in Calgary, how come you keep getting these left-wing loonies in the mayor's yeah. chair? How does that happen? You know, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a number of possibilities. Uh, one of the weird things, though, is so many of the polls had conservative Jeremy Farkas in the lead, and then G.O.T. Gondek came up, uh, and a number of the wards, the, the sort of smaller votes for the, the councillor positions, um, all a number of the polls had conservative candidates winning, and then they got absolutely smoked on the voting day. It was It's very bizarre. Like, it was almost 
almost in every single case, it, it, it was a dramatic swing on the last day as to who people voted for. Um, I think one of the issues, though, and I mean, this is just political spitballing here, but I think there are more organized efforts and perhaps better funded efforts among the liberals to not compete with each other or among the progressives to not compete with each other. So they have their one riding, their one candidate, they, they throw a lot of money behind it. And there's a concerted effort on that front. So Jyoti Gondek was very much the progressive candidate. On the other hand, there was uh, Field and uh, Farkas and a number of candidates lined up. So they, there's some vote splitting going on. Um, and, and, and because of that, I, I think these people are getting in. But I think Jyoti's, uh, I think Jyoti dropped like less than 36% of approval from 48. Those numbers could be wrong, but her approval is plummeting. Uh, rapidly, she's had she's botched the arena deal. I'm not all for spending a ton of money on the arena deal, but she botched that. She spent uh, reportedly, and we're still confirming this, we're waiting for some information, but a, a large sum of money just to declare we're in a climate emergency. Um, now she's targeting protesters who don't align with her personal views. She's very much an activist and an ideologue, and she, despite all the lovey-dovey talk, doesn't really care about the majority of Calgarians, even some of those who voted for her. Well, Adam, we're going to have to wrap it there. And, you know, it's so sad because when you look at classical liberalism, they were all about freedom of the press, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech. And now uh, your new normal liberals, it's all about if you're saying anything offensive to our ideology, we will shut you down even with force if need be. It's a disgrace. But, Adam, great report, great interview with the, the young journalists, and uh, thank you so much for joining me, and have a good weekend, my friend. Thanks so much. Will do. And that was Adam Seuss in Calgary. Keep with us, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Today, I have an enormous access to information document package from the Canadian Border Services Agency on their unconscious bias training. Our access to all of these documents was made possible through your crowdfunding donations to our special website at rebelinvestigates.com. So thank you to all of you who made this story possible. Now, normally, I don't have a lot of empathy for government employees. They're usually insulated from reality, but my heart oozes for the CBSA staff who just want to do their jobs and can keep Canadians safe. If only the Liberals would let them. On page 64, the border agents are told they can't say stopped when they are quite literally stopping a traveler because that's to quote police force type language. But again, they are literally committing the act of stopping a traveler and they are a quasi police force they're the border police right why wouldn't they use police type language anyways let's keep going this next one i might giggle a little bit in it because it is so stupid let's read it page 66 does unconscious bias <laughs> apply to non-human factors like a plane and a shipping container the answer, bias might affect how we process a shipping container. But in this course, we're talking about racial profiling. So I'm not sure planes and shipping containers are strong examples. These people are so scared of being labeled a racist that they are seriously contemplating what race an airplane is and what race a sea can is. 
That's what we've come to. Let's keep going. Page 72, they try to explain what unconscious bias is here. But frankly, it just leaves me a little bit more confused. Let's read it. Unconscious bias is like going to lunch at the cafeteria because you're busy at work instead of trying a new restaurant. What? Going to lunch at the cafeteria because you're busy at work is a good use of your time, a responsible use of your time. Albeit I don't work in a government union, so maybe that's not a consideration for them, but I don't know how this explains unconscious bias to me or anybody else. Let's keep reading. Page 533. Remember I told you there were a lot of documents to read through? Yeah, we're on 533. The Border Guards Union says their members are complaining about how racist <laughs> this racial profiling training is. You know, they might not be wrong. Let's keep going. Page 565. Questions are being raised about why this training is being contracted out when CBSA people will have to provide all the materials for it. I guess the contention is that this is a make-work project for an outside contractor when it seems as though the agency itself is doing all the legwork in the first place. Now, why? Why would anybody like me think that this bias training is a bit of a scam? Anyway, let's keep reading. Page 637. Everyone basically stops taking this whole thing seriously at this point because here's the communication. Could you provide the correct answers or send the link to the storyboard? That will make it easier for us to pass the quiz. Friend, no one passes these courses because they come from a presupposed position that you are always racist. No matter how unracist you are, that's why they call it unconscious bias. It's just alleged to be there no matter what you actually do or say or think. Let's keep going. Page 463. We see a document regarding a meeting with Ottawa police about racial profiling policies and they warn the CBSA about how nonsensical all this training is. Look at this. They, however, warned that the policy itself hasn't done much for them. It is a nice to have, but in reality, the work happens in the field. Ottawa police also warned them how expensive the anti-bias training consultants they and Toronto and the BC RCMP have hired are to the taxpayer. Now friends there's one anti-bias training course that I wish the Ottawa police had undergone and that's training to alleviate their anti-free speech anti-peaceful protest or bias because those cops were pretty eager to call in the pepper sprayers and the riot control horses over a bunch of bouncy castles and street parties with the convoy to Ottawa. Ladies and gentlemen, let us now briefly pause for a moment of silence dedicated to the comedic geniuses behind such content as Mad Magazine and Monty Python's Flying Circus. Because when it comes to being comedic, being bizarre, being downright surreal, well, these jokers have nothing over the bureaucratic clowns writing racism claptrap manuals for the poor beleaguered employees at the CBSA. You heard it yourself. Even mundane words such as stop might be somehow construed as racist. 
What are the border guards supposed to say? Halt, cease, end, terminate? Oh, I don't know about terminate. That kind of conjures up images of a homicidal cyborg with a Austrian accent. And with more on this heap and helping of social justice weirdo insanity is Sheila Gunn-Reed. Hey, Sheila, how you doing there? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you. And for using the word weirdo. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, we're bringing it back. (laughs) Gee, Sheila, I guess in the CBSA lunchroom, the border guards better not, oh, I don't know, play that classic hit by the Supremes, you know, stop in the name of love. But seriously, do we have an out-of-control racism problem at the CBSA, or is this really a fix for something that isn't even broken in the first place? Well, that's the thing with unconscious bias training. It assumes that everybody is racist, even when you're not, even when you're not saying racist things, even when you're not doing racist things, even when you're not thinking racist things. This is a solution for a problem that really doesn't seem to exist and that isn't manifesting itself in real time. It's your racism is so deep that it is somewhere in your unconscious. And so you need to be reeducated to deal with it. Um, So I guess the answer to your question is, no, there's not a racism problem there because they can't even seem to find it on the surface. Um, So they're trying to fix a thing that is buried so far deep that it is clearly not affecting the work of CBSA agents. And the thing is, Sheila, as you mentioned in your report, the CBSA is indeed um, a quasi-law enforcement agency. I mean, they're preventing bad people and bad stuff from getting into the country. Um, The idea that there's some negativity, according to these race hustlers, as being associated with law enforcement, what's the deal with that? I mean, like, what are we supposed to do? Turn a blind, blind eye to terrorists and bad substances from getting into the country? Well, that's the thing. These border agents were told that they can't use police type language. (laughs) They're the border police. What are they supposed to say? And they're finding offense, these racism trainers, with words like stopped because it was too much like a word that the cops would use. What do you call stopping someone if you can't call it stopping them? They're already calling everybody travelers. um, So they're using sort of these quasi-gender neutral words already, but they can't even use the appropriate language to describe the actions that they're taking. And it was through the documents, you could see the CBSA staff sort of twisting themselves in knots because they really couldn't understand what was happening to them to the point where they just at the end threw in the towel and said, look, can somebody just give us the answers to the quiz so that we can (laughs) pass the quiz, get this over with? Literally, that's what it says in the documents. They became so confused by this training, as much as I did, because I still went through it all, and I really can't see how going to lunch at the cafeteria, this is one of the things they said, unconscious bias is like going to lunch at the cafeteria when you're busy at work instead of going to a restaurant to try something new. I still don't know what that has to do with unconscious bias training. For me, it speaks a little bit more to the culture of being a government employee than anything that you would see somebody using their time appropriately over their lunch break as a problem. But they didn't really know. At some point, they became confused about 
the race of sea cans and airplanes. They were wondering how unconscious bias would affect the way that they were searching for contraband in sea cans that were coming off um, boats or trucks or airplanes when they were going through airplanes to search for contraband, smuggling, other issues. They were wondering, okay, well, what race is the plane and how does all this apply? Um, it, very confusing for everybody involved. And at the end, you could see the bureau, even the bureaucrats were saying, I think this is racist. And our staff are complaining that this is actually racist towards them, this presumption that they're all racist. They don't like that. And they, it, it was so bad at one point, David, I couldn't believe I saw this. Government bureaucrats were complaining that this seems a little bit too expensive for the um, return on investment, which is something you never hear government bureaucrats say. So that's how bad this all was. Wow. Geez, maybe the budget will balance itself after all, <laughs> Sheila. But, you know, here's the thing. Sheila, I've been in every major airport in our great dominion. I can tell you I have seen the CBSA agents. They are diverse as the population of Canada itself. So the question is, when it comes to this, you know, unconscious bias, this, you know, uh, deep rooted racism that even when you don't say or do anything racist, you're still somehow racist. Does that include those members of the CBSA who are visible minorities or are these race hustlers saying this is just kind of a white thing? That's where I'm a little confused here. I think the implication here is that it's a white thing. But if you are a visible minority and you have unconscious bias, then you are suffering from internalized white supremacy. The way that women like myself who are sort of anti-feminist and believe in traditional values and traditional gender roles, we have internalized misogyny. They are suffering, unfortunately, from the same thing. And there were a lot of things that I couldn't even get, uh, like I couldn't even fit it all in one video because there was so much. And that's why we published the documents for these things in full. So if someone is curious, wants to uh, read through the documents for themselves, they even the language from the race anti-racism trainers, which I guess is race, they are kind of racist, at least according to the feedback from the CBSA agents who were subject to it. They used bizarre gender neutral language to describe the people who were forcibly shoehorned into this training against their will. They called them learners instead of students, um, I guess, for social justice reasons that are imperceptible to somebody like me. Unbelievable. Sheila, one last question. Um, is this SJW nonsense that you've exposed? Is this just a one off, especially given, you know, oh, your. No. Oh, no, <laughs> it's going to be like an annual. This is the new normal at CBSA, is it? This is the new normal across the whole of government. Um, and this a lot of this flows directly from the liberal government's pursuit of the gender based analysis plus. Um, lens that they put all government contracts, procurements, programs, projects, all of that stuff has to go through this gender-based analysis plus and everything. The, the plus means every um, social justice demographic group as well. So this training is becoming the norm. This is to the point where we are 
subjecting all levels of government to this sort of nonsense. Um, we are subjecting pipeline approvals to this sort of nonsense, rail approvals, government procurements. I've seen this stuff in government contracts to buy PPE. This is the new norm. And I imagine it adds an exorbitant cost to just every single government program where you have these like racism checklist lurkers standing over there, making sure that there's no unconscious bias in anything that ever happens within government. Absolutely fascinating. And it's uh, disturbing and it's despicable. And you know what? I hope if and when we get regime change and we have a true conservative at the helm of the conservative party who becomes prime minister, I hope this nonsense, this garbage, this racism, I mean, what they are doing is inherently racist. They, they, they don't even, they seem to be the only one in, in the room that doesn't understand that. Uh, because one of the things, Sheila, is that these social justice uh, warrior uh, anti-racism uh, teachers, how do we know they don't have unconscious bias? Why, why don't we turn the tables on them? Anyways, what I'm getting to. They're cured. It, they, they cured themselves, David. Yeah. It's yeah, well, fine. <laughs> remember that Latin phrase, which translates into English, who watches the watchers? That's what I want to know. But I hope we have this uh, crazy progressive Marxist crap flushed out of the system because, A, it's, uh, like I said before, a fix for a problem that does, that does not exist. And it costs way, way too much of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars. It's despicable. Sheila, that was a great report. Um, I know there'll be more to come in the days and weeks ahead. There definitely will be because I filed for the cost of this contract because I want to know exactly what it costs to tell a bunch of clearly not racist CBSA agents that they are racist anyway. I want to know <laughs> how much it costs Jeez. and who we paid to do it. Unbelievable. Sheila, you have a great weekend. Thanks, David. You too. Okay. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed somewhere in the northern hinterland of Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. David Menzies for Rebel News here at Ontario Place in Toronto. Well, folks... As you may know, Ontario got rid of the Vax passport way back on March the 1st. Yeah, the Premier and the Chief Medical Officer of Health, Kieran Moore, they decided uh, enough is enough, no more apartheid when it comes to the citizens of Ontario. But then we heard that Ontario Place, which is owned by the provincial government, is still mandating the Vax pass. How can this be? And what's even more inexplicable is that the Ontario Science Centre, also owned by the government of Ontario, is not mandating the Vax Pass. So it's this whole hodgepodge of rules that doesn't make sense. And uh, my colleague Isabel and I, we bought two tickets to see the new Trolls movie. Oh, can't wait for that. So I guess our caper today is to see if we will be allowed in and uh, be able to watch uh, this movie without being asked for our government ID and the Vax passport. And just in case we are asked, I got a backup plan. Check this out, folks. It's a temporary tattoo of a Vax pass. Get it? So let's go in. Let's see if we can uh, 
watch the movie, get some Coca-Cola, some popcorn with golden topping, whatever the hell that is, and uh, enjoy the Trolls movie if that is indeed possible. Hello, how are you doing there? Good. Uh, do you mind if I see your proof of vaccination ID, please? The, sorry, do you mind if I you see my... your proof of vaccination ID, please? Oh, that's uh, yesterday's news, my friend. That's over with. Well, the government allows for businesses to uh, choose whether or not they have people show that when they're entering the site. But you are the government. Ontario Place is owned by the province of Ontario. Well, it's the government gives businesses and government businesses the choice to do that. So if you want to come in, uh, unfortunately, I have to check that. This doesn't make sense because Ontario's chief medical health officer has waived that, sir, and uh, pretty near agrees with it. There's well, I'm no... not the, unfortunately, I'm not the person to talk to about changing the rules. Uh, I, that's what I was told to do, so I have to, uh, I have to do that. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I'm just trying to figure out uh, the Science Centre uh, is also owned by the province. They have an IMAX theater. There's no... Vax pass rule there either. Oh, I guess that was their business's choice. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, but it's the same us. business, the province of Ontario. <laughs> well, it's, I, I, I don't know the fine details, all I know is that I have to check this. Can you tell me why I, I need that when the chief medical health officer said it's no longer required? <laughs> I mean, um, I'm not, I honestly, I'm just a you know, a, a ticket person, I don't sure. really know all about that, so. But I'm just wondering, whoever, do you know whose decision it was at uh, the Sinisphere that... You don't have the uh, vaccination passport on you? Um, I, it's not on my phone, but um, it, it's a moot point because that, on, as of March 1st, you don't have to have a vaccine. We're pass. still doing it here until the 21st. Till the 21st. That's what the, yeah, that's what is detailed. Sir, can you tell me why the Science Center which is also provincially owned, and they well, have an IMAX. Related to the really science center. You're 100% related. You're owned by well, the same entity. Owned by both, yeah, but, but they run two different businesses. It's, two, it's, it's, it's still separate, even though it's both under the government. But it's still operated by the crown, though. It's still, you know, and, and I'm just trying to find out why. I mean, like, you know, if you have a, uh, even if you're double, triple, quadruple vaxxed, you can still transmit COVID. We know that now, yeah. right? So what's the point? No, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's okay. just, you know, it's it's just the way that uh, we, you know, what we were told to do, and you know, like I said, the I understand. That was set out, you know, I would think you need as much business as possible. There's not even 20 cars in the park. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I I don't have the uh, Backpass QR code on my phone. It's on my phone at home, but I have uh, a temporary tattoo with it. So if you want to scan that. Okay. All right. I mean, that's uh, interesting. It's like Bruce Willis and 12 Monkeys. Remember they have barcodes? Well, it's, just, it's not coming up as anything. I'm not sure it what, isn't? What, what that's for. It's a third party one. Maybe some sweat is on it. Okay, try it now. It's it's not recognized as a government thing. I, I don't know try one more what's time. going on if here. Sure. Yeah. Then, yeah, it is a third party one. It's not working, eh? No. What about if I slipped you a couple of bucks and you look the other way? And okay, so let me get this straight. Way back in July 2021, Ontario Premier Doug Ford said he was adamantly against a vaccine passport for the province. He didn't want a two-tier citizenship status for the people of Ontario. 
Of course, within days, Ford would go on to perform one of those spectacular 180-degree flip-flops on that policy, and the Vax Pass was part of the new normal. Fast forward to March 1st, and the vaccine passport is history, except at Ontario Place, which is owned by the government of Ontario, the very same government that tossed the Vax Pass on the scrap heap of obsolescence. What the hell? In any event, you had plenty to say about the government of Ontario essentially exempting itself from its own policy. Lava, 1964, writes, It was absolutely illegal to ask for people's private medical information in 2019. Why isn't this illegal now? You know, that's a great point, Lava, 1964. And I wonder about those restaurants demanding vax passes and masks. What if you or I were to ask the employees about their, oh, I don't know, their sexually transmitted disease histories? Why not? They're handling our food, after all. Shouldn't we have the right to know that, too? Mike S. writes, There needs to be some kind of law that prohibits medical discrimination in Canada. Well, Mike, that's what makes the Ontario Place policy so bloody frustrating. The provincial government revoked the mandatory vax pass regulation on March 1st, yet Ontario Place, which is government-owned, they carry on enforcing the vax pass. So weird. Heidi Mountain writes, people are done with the QR codes. The proof is the amount of cars in the parking lot. You know, that's a good point, Heidi. There were fewer than 20 people at that IMAX cinema on that day. You'd think the theater would welcome everybody back now that the restrictions are over. But no, I mean, with that amount of people in the cinema, does it even make economic sense to screen the movie in the first place? Rock On writes, why does the government own these venues? That's like the government owning Disneyland. You know, you're 100% correct, Rock On. How is it the responsibility of any level of government to own and or operate amusement parks, liquor stores, lotteries, and casinos? Government's role is to tax and regulate it's not to do business that should be conducted by those in the private sector. And Razier writes, love how David trolls the poor kid with the QR code stickered to his forehead, LMAO, and he thought David was being sincere too, XD. Well, to be honest, Razier, my first inclination was to stick that QR code on my ass. That's how I really feel about these bloody medical apartheid passports. But then again, that might have been a wee bit too pornographic. So I settled for the forehead. Thank God. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.